Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. If you'd like to buy or sell office buildings, call me directly. I'm Michael at bullrealty.com. Wait, that's an email? Email me directly. All right, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the office market. I think the office market is really interesting to talk about for, for almost everyone right now, because in some shape or form, we, we, we probably use office space or we used to, right? Uh, and what's going on? Yeah, we have inflation. We have a potential recession. We have still recovering from COVID where employees don't want to work or don't want to work in the office, or a lot of them don't. A lot of them do. We're starting to get some occupancy back in these buildings and some of these markets. Uh, but what's really going on? Let's find out. Please welcome my guest. It's Phil Mobley. He's National Director of Office Analytics with the CoStar Group. Phil, good to see you. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me back. Good to well, be on again. I oh, appreciate you being here. And uh, we love hearing from you around the country and what you guys, uh, the the, def- the huge research you guys do and the information you have. And, um, you know, if to get us started, you know, this has been kind of a shaky last two or three years, right, with COVID going on and uh, potential recession and spiking interest rates. When we look at office performance uh, around the country uh, and we look back at the Great Recession, right? That was another time when I guess almost every commercial real estate uh, property type was was suffered, it seemed. How does performance now in the last two or three years compare with performance in the Great Recession? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great comparison, I think. I think it can teach us something. There's a lot of similarities, right? So we, we had this black swan event, right? 2020, it was COVID. 2008, end of 2008, it was the financial crisis. Um, you had a similar number of job losses, uh, about two and a half million each time, a little more during COVID, a little less during the Great Recession, but but on par. Um, and then you had uh, immediate reaction in the office market, big net absorption in the first year uh, of the recession. Beyond that, the similarities pretty much end, at least in, in terms of, you know, macro performance indicators. So, um, you know, I mentioned the job losses. Well, in the Great Recession, it took six years almost for those jobs to all come back. Um, COVID, they came back in 20 months, which is really fast. And in fact, um, we're now back at or above even the trend, the pre-COVID growth trend of office using employment. Um, to the tune of about almost 2 million more office-using jobs now than we had at the end of 2019. Um, the absorption story it kind of took the opposite pattern. So, you know, I mentioned there was a, a big negative absorption shock in 2009 with the Great Recession. But 2009 is, is pretty much as long as it lasted, at least on an annual basis. It was net positive in 2010. We just had our third year of negative net absorption nationally, now marginally so in 2022, um, but that demand has not come back. In fact, by this time, you know, 10, 11 quarters or so after uh, absorption turned negative in, in the Great Recession, it had recovered. It was back to that, that baseline. We're still now, same amount of time, closer to the trough than we, we are to that old peak. 
Um, and the magnitude's a lot more. So in the Great Recession, that initial shot took away about 50 basis points of inventory, um, and then it recovered over you know the next couple of years. But uh, now we're still more like 140 basis points below where we were in terms of occupancy. Um, so you know almost triple the size, longer lasting. There, there's some differences there. And I think the other thing that's really different is in both recessions we saw an increase in sublease availability. That's kind of stands to reason. We've got excess space. You want to try to cut your costs as much as you can. Well, that topped out about 47% in terms of an increase over baseline during the Great Recession. We're now more than 100%, uh, and it looks like still rising in the aftermath of uh, you know the COVID shock. So um, there's some similar patterns in terms of what happened and what always happens during a recession, but... Um, you know, this time is it's longer lasting. The impact is deeper. And I think one of the things it tells us is is that we we are in for the long haul in the office sector. And now, of course, we've got talk of the recession. We've got rising interest rates and the shock to the economy that that's caused. So um, there's I think more anxiety to come for the sector. Chase, our producer, Chase, could you bring me some alcohol? <laughs> I need it right now. Uh, well, you know, that's interesting. And how how does performance compare uh when you look at, at 2020 it seemed like some some companies were coming back using more space what did you see for performance kind of throughout the year and, and through today one of the things that we've seen as kind of a pandemic era trend are um, the relative resilience of suburban areas and then secondary markets we didn't see quite the the hit to demand in those areas and so if you look at markets like um, you know, west in inland West Coast markets like Las Vegas or um, Phoenix or up to San Jose, um, they have, have performed relatively well. Um, and then you look at markets in Florida, Miami, Orlando, uh, they perform relatively well. Sunbelt markets like Charlotte, uh, markets in Texas, Austin you know, had sort of a, a mini boom almost early in the pandemic. Um, so that trend continued to some degree in 2022, but but definitely decelerated. There was not nearly the gap, uh, at least an obvious gap in kind of secondary versus primary markets. Now, the primary markets took a bigger hit, so they've got further to come back from, uh, and that could account for, for some of the difference. But we did see that trend decelerate a little bit. And as far as the trends in those major markets, the, uh, you know, the Bostons and the New York cities, uh, where a lot of our, our listeners are, obviously, in these big cities. Um, what are you seeing for uh, performance in, in those big buildings in the CBD? Well, you know, Boston's unique. That's where I sit. And it's got the life sciences sector, which really drives, um, you know, the utilization of buildings and then kind of underpins the, the, the demand and is holding vacancy. You know, the increase in Boston hasn't been nearly as much as in some first-tier markets. I think in general... Um, what you see if you look at like the Castle Systems barometer, for example, which which finally did crest 50% relative to 2019 a couple weeks ago. And then, of course, it went back down a couple weeks after that, just a little. Um, but we do tend to see that those Sunbelt markets have higher utilization by that metric. And it gets backed up by some other metrics as well. If you look at, you know, cell phone mobility data or even surveys show that uh, people tend to come in more frequently in those uh, smaller second-tier markets. 
Um, and of course, impacts the market. In fact, almost no one is fully remote. You know, that's kind of the 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 big straw man is well, everyone is remote all the time. Well, that's not really true. That's you know, one out of ten workers maybe, um, and a lot of those are independent contractors anyway. Um, but in terms of you know how frequently people are commuting, it really is a difference by market, and that that has impacted demand for office space absolutely. You know, San Francisco is kind of the poster child for for all the the risk factors associated with um, you know hybrid on the lower end of coming into the office as opposed to hybrid coming in four days and and being remote one. Yeah, how about New York City? Uh, you know, it seems like uh, the folks I talk to there. Say it's starting to come back, but, uh, you know, when you have a dense environment where maybe you're coming in on the subway, right, you're crowded, you're coming in a crowded elevator, a crowded, more dense environment, what, what do you see performance in, in New York City and cities? Yeah, New York is, um, it's, it's such an important city and market just economically and culturally, and then that extends to the office market. It's, it really is a bellwether and kind of mirrors the overall national performance. Um, so it's kind of... Right in line, it's had the the big negative absorption shot. It's had the increase in vacancy, which you know nationally we've seen it go up something like 330 bips since end of 2019. Similar story in in New York. One of my favorite um, data illustrations is you can look at commuter rail ridership into Manhattan, and they publish it every day, and they do a, a comparison with a similar day, you know, either weekday or weekend versus 2019. And uh, the second half of 2022, you know, kind of after Omicron and after the restrictions were eased and, um, you know, through the summer, it rose a little bit. And then it's just sort of plateaued 65, 70 percent, 65, 70 percent, still hanging out about there. So, you know, what you're hearing, I think, re- reflects that. Um, but on the weekends, it's in the 90s. Right. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's something to cities that people still uh, enjoy. Right. Um, and I think, you know, the office office buildings being such a huge part of the landscape of, of cities, even visually, architecturally, right? You know, there's there's something to that that people want. And that's why I, I think, frankly, there are so few people that want to be fully remote. They want those experiences. Um, but they don't necessarily want to sit on that crowded train for, you know, two hours a day for five days a week. Um so that, I think that's another thing that's impacting the larger markets. Although, you know, New York, to a lesser extent, it looks like, than a San Francisco or, or even um, a Chicago. Yeah. Well, it's certainly exciting. You know, I live here in Atlanta, and uh, it's a big city, but it's nothing like the downtowns of Chicago, Boston, and New York. And it's very exciting to, to visit those towns and visit the folks there. Um, so studying the office market like you do, what do you expect demand to do for the rest of this year for office? Well, it's, it's really complicated, Michael, because what we've got now is these, these fears of a new recession. Um, and the, the labor market is telling us different things. It, it's hard to interpret what's happening in the labor market right now because office using job growth has stayed really strong. Um, with the last couple of months, the, the information sector specifically has gone negative. And that includes a lot of what we think of as tech companies. So let's see, like your your Facebook, Meta, um, Google, Alphabet, um, and so you know, you see the stories, and you can you can do the count of how many layoffs, and it's in the hundreds of thousands, you know, in the last four or five months, according to some sources. 
but on the other hand, that that jobs engine overall just keeps churning. And um, how do we how do we grapple with this, especially when we're still seeing some of these structural issues related to lower office utilization play out? Yeah, I, I'm kind of of the mind that because of the the structure of long term leases. I mentioned the the sublease inventory that's available. It's double what it was in 2019. Um, you know, that's that hasn't come back down, which suggests to me that there's this persistently weak demand that's gonna convert at least a sizable portion of that into direct vacancy. But it's gonna take a while over the, the couple of years, and it, it's really hard to tease out what the impact will be when you've got recessionary headwinds and you've got companies that. Um, you know, it hasn't spilled over broadly yet, but you've got t- big tech companies, some financial services companies that are laying off workers. You've got people that are canceling um, lease commitments, you know, big headlines of tech companies doing that. We actually saw new leasing volume fall off precipitously in Q4. It, it ended up being somewhere 25 to 30% below the, the quarterly average from 2015 to 2019. Um, and, and before that, for like the second half, 2021, first half, 22, it had been more like 10% below, um, but then it, it really did dip. And I think a lot of that is is cyclical, right? It's this reaction to expectations for recession. It's cutting costs. Um, you know, there's a school of thought that a lot of companies, because they have worked so hard to acquire talent over the last couple of years, they're reluctant to let that talent go, and they want to try to trim costs in other ways, which is, in one way, would be would be office space. Um, so I think it's just really difficult to interpret the confluence of the, the structural and cyclical impacts. But one thing we can say is that none of it's really good for office fundamentals. Um, and we are forecasting, inclusive of the idea of a mild recession this year, that vacancy goes up over 13.5% by early next year. Um, and, and it could go higher than that if the recession really does hit in full force. As opposed to what vacancy right now? Uh, right now we're at about twelve point eight percent. We were at nine and a half entering twenty twenty. Uh, so it's gone up meaningful, meaningfully. Uh, you know, if if this the recession is more severe than a lot of economists are calling for right now, then it it could go up higher faster than that. If not, then kind of my take on it is. It'll it'll still go up as the, some of the structural stuff continues to shake out over the next couple of years, uh, and the the sublease availability is really d- the tell. It's the canary in the coal mine to me about that that structural issue. Chase, make that a double when you bring that, <laughs> <laughs> bring that over. Um, well, what about is there still a difference between suburban and CBD uh, when you look at those kind of separately on performance? You know, I was talking with one of my colleagues uh, earlier this week about this issue, and really, uh, we think there is something to this idea. We were throwing around different possible terms, like micro-urban. Um, you know, I, I didn't invent this term. We didn't invent this term. But placemaking is a big deal. So people want the uh, the idea of being connected, being in an amenitized area like a CBD. But they want it close to where they live, right. like a suburb. Um and so I think there there could be some interesting things happening in in those markets. And one thing we are definitely seeing, and this is a trend that has held up for out, throughout the the three years of the pandemic era, and it was also true, by the way, in the aftermath of the Great Recession, and that is um, flight to quality, but with a twist. 
Um, it's not just about class A or in, in our nomenclature, you know, star rating, five star, four star, three star. It's really about recency of construction. And so if you, if you sort of cut off at uh, 2015, you know, so last seven plus years, uh, delivered in the past seven plus years, then we've seen positive absorption, um, yeah, 50 million square feet or so per year over the past three years. It's, it's maintained that demand from tenants, uh, whereas the, the space has been largely entirely given back on the net in older vintage properties, and that's regardless of star rating. So in other words, what we would call a three-star building, kind of down the middle, maybe class B in most markets type building, um, you know, we've seen those have tremendously negative absorption if they're older, but still positive even at class B if they're newer. And then the, the flip side of that is the, the five-star building kind of top of the market trophy level assets. Well, we've actually seen those buildings also have net negative absorption if they're older. So, so that, you know, the, the tenant's mind is thinking of quality in terms of, well, they might be thinking of it this way, but the, the way they're acting is, is in terms of recency of delivery of property. Um, and, you know, you think about glass walls, nice views, highly amenitized, um, air quality, configurable, all these things that just make an office a nice place to be. Um, that's really what tenants are, are going for or have been going for. Yeah. How is all this impacting uh, rates, rental rates? Well, uh, they they have been, again, there's a bifurcation, right? Um, so one thing that we're seeing is very slow growth in asking rates overall, but a lot of that is being eaten away by concessions. Um, and we sort of know intuitively that those concession packages have gotten richer and richer. You know, one kind of rule of thumb is if you're willing to commit to a longer-term lease, then it's a month of free rent for every um year of the term that's obviously varies a lot by property type and class and market but that's kind of a you know uh, a figure that's out there you know in some markets 100 plus per square foot on ti's um you know that'll that'll eat away at your effective rents pretty quickly um and frankly in a high financing cost environment it just it doesn't pencil unless you get a lot of term um so we're seeing uh, what I would say is we're seeing overall net effective rents stagnate or, or even decline, even if at the top line they're they're growing slightly. The exception to that could be at some of those trophy new vintage properties where they're not having to give away as much to get the space occupied, um, and they are seeing some you know positive rent growth at the the premium level of the market. Yeah, certainly a wonderful time for occupiers to get great deals on their lease space or potentially acquire properties. And, and we're seeing more of that. We had a, a client in town uh, buying a building in Atlanta that needs 100,000 square feet and they want to buy. I'm like, wow, that's pretty smart, really, uh, if you can find you know the right opportunity, right? Um, well, that's real interesting. So let, let's adjust our, our discussion to cap rates and, and sales volume. Um, you know, what, what are you seeing there? What, what are some trends? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the dog that finally barked, I think, was a slowdown in volume in Q4. We saw just over $22 billion in sales in Q4, um, which was the lowest for a fourth quarter since 2009. Um, it, was, it wasn't the lowest quarter overall because we had some really low ones in 2020. 
Um, but for a Q4, typically, you know, a lot of activity, it really trailed off quite a bit. Um, and, you know, I've spoken to a couple of lenders that have basically said, I'm not saying that we've got a ban on doing office deals, but if you bring one to the table, it's probably not going to go through. Um, and that's just because, you know, that bid-ask spread has widened. If you don't have to sell uh, in this environment, then you're not going to because your your financing cost is just so high. Um, now, if you, if you look at deals that have closed, um, and, and you have to be careful about this, but you look at apples to apples, so, you know, compare single-tenant net lease to single-tenant net lease, and you, tr you trend the actual um, cap rates on those deals, what you will see is that they are starting to rise. Um, it's, it's hard to tease that out because there are just so few actual um, deals that have done under the new fin financing conditions from the second half of last year and onward. Um, but, you know, the, the public markets have already priced in 150, 200 basis point increase if you look at something like... Uh, the Nary Office Index, for example. Um, so I still think that's coming. And I think as we get into a time period when, you know, short-term leases executed during the pandemic start expiring, um, loans start coming due, and you've got to figure out, okay, can I bring some more equity? Can I get some mezzanine debt? What am I going to do to try to uh, meet the underwriting requirements and refinance this asset? Some of those people are going to have to sell. And that, that's when I think the broader market is going to start to reflect that cap rate increase that um, that the public markets are already pricing in. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, if you do have, uh, you're buying office or you have office and need a loan, I can get you a loan. Not for me personally, <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, I, I, I lead a team that sells office buildings. And we do have lenders that really like this market because you think if you're a lender right now, these are probably some of the safest loans you're going to do. They're, they're done with you know, with no risk of uh, higher rates on maturity. Uh, you've got uh, better underwriting, um, closer scrutiny. You have less com competition from other lenders. So I think a lot of lenders are going to create some good um, uh, networks, uh, you know, this year and next year as they do finance office buildings. And uh, um, so l let's talk about uh, the future of cap rates and, yeah. and, and, and sales volume. You know, we are seeing, uh, I guess because I'm directly in it around the country, we are seeing sales. We are people selling. And what we're going to see in, as, as a broker on Frontline is we're seeing cap rates, you know, 5% to to 3% 3, uh, 3 higher uh, on uh, office properties with an average of probably 200 basis points uh, higher on office. You know, what would you expect, you know, moving forward? I know it's, you know, and as our listeners and viewers know, you know, using average cap rates uh, are, are can be a farce. I mean, every building is completely different, right? In every market, in every building. But but overall, what would you expect moving forward? Well, yeah, I mean, you just said there's no such thing as the average cap rate, right? Um, you know, again, it's complicated because the, the Fed isn't done raising rates. And I think the market the equity markets. They should be done. If you guys are listening, <laughs> be done. I am not a policy advisor. <laughs> you know, I'm reporting. Um, and it looks like the equity markets are, are finally starting to get the message that they're not done raising rates. Um, and so, I, you know, I think to your point that you are seeing some deals, you are doing deals. It's all about that risk premium, right? Because 
you can pencil out, okay, well, here's the 10-year treasury, because I do think the bond markets have priced in, that the, the Fed's not done. Um, but, okay, I've got uh, a headquarters building that's a sale, leaseback, or single tenant, or I've got, you know, uh, a brand new building that's 95 plus percent occupied that was delivered, you know, a couple of years ago in uh, a bustling area, it's highly amenitized. Those are going to be your lower risk deals that have a chance to go through because they they will meet those underwriting requirements and as you said it could turn out to be one of the best loans you ever do. But if you're looking at a building that has some rollover risk, um, and you know maybe it's older vintage, three four star type asset, um, there's just a lot of risk because people still don't know ultimately what is going to be, A, what is going to be the demand for those assets, and B, when will the rising tide pull it back up? You know, in the Great Recession, that took three or four years, even after overall absorption turned positive again. For some of those older vintage buildings, it still took three or four years. Um, and I think we're still at least that far away this time. And so... the given that rates are going to continue to increase for the next little bit, um, I think it makes it really difficult because you don't really know what that risk premium is. Uh, you're still trying to figure that out. And that's when, you know, when the when and if distress does start to hit the market, um, that's when price discovery for those assets is, is really going to come to the fore. And I think we're going to start seeing what those cap rates are going to do. I mean, my expectation is that they're going to rise, um, but we're going to have to see by how much. Yeah, and of course, some of those distressed deals don't have cap rates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's either zero or infinity, which is right. <laughs> however you want to look at it. Yeah, <laughs> I like affinity. Yeah, uh, that idea. Uh, wow. So um, what what else would you leave our audience with to think about about the office market moving forward? Yeah, well, I, I would say um, a couple things. You know, this year we're forecasting about 70 million square feet of new inventory to be delivered, um, which might not be bad news for that new inventory, um, but it might not be good news for the rest of the market. That would actually be the most in new deliveries if they all if they all do get delivered since 2008. Um, so the, the pipeline was pretty big coming into the pandemic and you know and early in it. Uh, I, I think. Looking at some of those markets that have been resilient during the the pandemic era, um, you know, some of them we should look out for. We should pay really close attention to Austin and San Jose that have have constructed a lot um, because they also have seen pretty big upticks in sublease availability, have pretty high overall availability. They've had the underlying demand so far, um, but we'll have to see if that continues. Um, you know, uh, Miami, uh, Las Vegas, um, um, uh, Jacksonville, Charlotte, smaller markets um, that don't have that risk necessarily of being overbuilt on the one hand, but they also don't have necessarily a ton of this highly desirable space coming online. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with fundamentals there. Um, there's just, just a, lot of, a lot of nuances in a lot of different markets particularly when you look at these secondary markets. Um, and I think they're going to react differently to the pressures that are coming down the pike. You talked about the short, a lot of short-term leases have been done. What are you seeing out of recently? Is that changing at all, or is it still about the same percentage of kind of short-term leases or renewals? Uh, we've seen that go back 
uh, normalize, I would say. Um, you know, the, the terms got really short in the, the first year and a half or so of the pandemic. Well, I think one reason is, is what we were talking about earlier, is that if you want those TI packages, if the landlord wants to be generous and try to help get you in the space, but for it to pencil at all, you've got to commit to term. And I do think that because companies have realized that, well, we're still going to use the office for something. We may have lower utilization than historically we have, but people still want to use it. They want to get together. We may not need as much of it. But yeah, we're willing to take down some high quality space for long term. And then so we've seen terms um, lengthen out. And, you know, in fact, even... Um, even lease sizes, new lease sizes, we haven't really seen fall all that much. In part, I think because companies are kind of consolidating and they might they might commit to longer and larger in one location while trimming elsewhere. And so on the net, you know, our average lease size looks about the same. We have seen that dip in volume that I think is, um, you know, it's concerning probably mostly for the short term in response to the recessionary fears. Um, Longer term, I think it's going to be more about, again, this continued reaction to a different utilization pattern and what that's going to mean. Yeah. You talked about the tech and slowdown in office use, and we've, we've everybody's read about it in the paper. Uh, how much of that that might make some people nervous, you know, hearing that and reading about it is from the tech. A lot of these tech companies are really hire, doing excessive hiring and planning because of all the increase in, in uh revenue they had during COVID, right? It seems like these tech companies were just growing exponentially during COVID and they were kind of gearing up for that. Is there some of that in that news that, hey, the, yeah, we, we, we really overexpanded because of COVID and now we're getting back to more maybe normal or uh, revenues and we, we're, we're not going to grow as much as we thought? Well, I think that's some of it. And if you look at the big tech companies and you look at kind of their net hiring, inclusive of their recently announced layoffs, they're still way above, their payrolls are way above what they were in 2019. So on the net, they've still added jobs. There, right. There's still more people employed. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a labor market economist, but one thing that does seem to be going on is even those workers that have been laid off they seem to be finding new jobs pretty quickly, either at other tech companies or at, you know, um, product consumer product companies and financial services companies and real estate companies. Well, they all need tech workers. Um, and in an environment where the, the big tech companies are, are not as hot for acquiring talent, some of the people that they would have acquired or that they have recently laid off can find landing places in the broader economy just not, you know, in a officially a tech company, but still working in tech just for a different industry. Yeah. I want to ask you what, what you think about uh, either office property types for existing buildings or our new construction or our geographic areas, markets that, that might hold some promise and opportunity. Uh, like I, I have a, a $42 million deal for sale with, with really low interest rate assumable financing in a market with 2.6% vacancy in Tennessee. So it's like, it's got everything. It's got the occupancy, it's got the demand. It's, it's got a really low trade loan. It's a real opportunity. And we're selling it at a 9.6 cap on existing income. And there's least space to, 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 to add value. Um, and, and that, that, that's an example to me of a home run opportunity, right? Uh, where, where are some markets or property type kind of office property types? You think there might be some opportunity for investors or, or users? 
I think if you look at, um, I don't, I don't want to exclude the gateways entirely from you know the market because they do matter quite a bit, and there there are stories there. But for the purposes of this conversation, let's just think about some of those secondary and tertiary markets. If you're looking at those markets that you know they tend to have relatively higher utilization, tend to have shorter commutes. Um, a lot of them are doing this kind of micro-urban, you know, mixed-use type development that is. It's suburb, but it feels like CBD when you're physically there. Um, so look at markets like that that have um, you know an opportunity to put some nice new inventory there without saturating the market. And then the other piece of that would be look at the employment trends in those markets. So Northwest Arkansas, you know, home of, home of uh, of Walmart. Um, Provo, Utah, down below Salt Lake, um, Charlotte, Greenville, South Carolina, um, not too far up the road from where we're sitting right now. You know, I think those are, are markets that could present some interesting opportunities. And I'm just basing that on what I'm seeing in the fundamentals, right? They've got tailwinds of demographics. They're, they're, they don't appear to be overbuilt. They have relatively low availability. Um, and maybe the opportunity for some high-performing new inventory to come online. Um, and this is kind of what I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I've been in this business for 35 years and been through some cycles. And when I look at the folks who really knock it out of the park uh, in real estate investing, uh, it's the folks who uh, watch the cycles, right? And and they're buying in cycles like this, if they're, if they're in office, I guess, because office seems to be the one with the highest cap and the most opportunity right now when you look at opportunistic or a real big value add opportunity. So I think uh, there's going to be a lot of investors that uh, are, are getting into the office space that are going to do really good deals. And I think in long term, and I think that's why I'm still seeing a lot of activity, right? There are sellers who are, are selling with equity uh, that have done well with their properties and it's time to, to sell. Uh, and, and a lot of buyers that are taking advantage of opportunities. And I like your idea, your thoughts there in some of these uh, uh, secondary markets in these where you have mixed use or close in suburban kind of city areas, right, where you can build some new construction that, that uh, uh, where people can walk out of the building and, and go eat, live or, or eat or shop, right? Right. And, you know, I, I don't give investment advice. Um, it's, it's a lot harder to actually execute those things than it is to, to talk about them. Um, but having said that, you know, not everyone plays in those markets, um, and you know maybe there will be some new entrants, or maybe those that have been in place in those smaller markets and kind of below the radar of you know the gateways or the the major institutional funds uh, may have some opportunity. Yeah, and it's interesting uh, your your thoughts on the uh, demand coming back for for office and the and the fundamentals improving. You're taking four years. And that made the difference between an, an analyst, an economist, and a broker that's positive. I think two years, right? I think there's so many challenges. I'm just really so pro-office. I just think there's going to be so many challenges for employees and employers uh, with remote work from home. You know, the, the cybersecurity issue is getting worse and worse and worse. It's going to be harder to protect your, your clients and your information with folks working anywhere. And I think you know, the obvious ones of, of collaboration and recruiting and retention and culture and innovation. Uh, I, I think it's just going to hurt top and bottom line numbers. And when the employment market adjusts some, uh, where employees, employers 
can have the advantages for their employees and themselves to have folks in the office. Uh, they're going to do it. And I think we're learning a lot about as, as owners and asset managers uh, of, of how to have office space that does attract people, that is healthy. And, and it's, it's about time. You know, I've been selling office buildings for a long time. And I looked at some of the, I've talked to some of the, these large owners and asset managers. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you do that? Well, we don't really need to. We don't have enough people to handle it. I'm like, well, now they're doing it. Now they're doing solar. Now they're doing amenities. They're, they're, they're doing things that create wellness and, and a reason for people to be in the office. So I think in the long term, uh, you know, hopefully it's my long term, two years. It's not, hey, well, look, you know, where would the world be without Optimus? We need Optimus. And, and I, I, would, I would leave you with this thought. A, a friend of mine um, who is, is in the industry, workplace consultant, yeah, I heard her say, and she's also a professor at a local university um, where she lives, and, and I heard her say that as she was talking about this issue with some of her students, who are young, around 20 years old, um, well, they don't want to be fully remote. They want to spend time in the office. And I think one of the things we've actually learned is that there, there, it wasn't obvious that, that we would ever go back to the office at all, right? right yeah. um, but but now it it's, seems like yeah, we, there, there's this big place in the workplace for coming to the office with some frequency. And her, her take was these students spent two years quarantined, essentially, on campus doing classes on Zoom. They were hungering for that human interaction um, and for the, the ability to physically work together, to collaborate together on, on their projects. And they want that for their careers as well. I don't think it's just about the the mentoring and and learning piece although that is part of it i think it's just hey look we're human beings we we want to be this is a lot more fun to do with me sitting here than it would be over zoom um, not that it wouldn't be fun over zoom absolutely um so so yeah i think you know, longer term the the need for workplaces and gathering together is just always going to be there and that's one of the lessons that i think we can learn yeah and, you know, and I announced uh, on my show the solution to all this, and I'm sure everyone knows it, and it's been pr- uh, uh, covered in the press around the world. No, it hasn't. No, no one's listening to me <laughs> No, about my advice. But I have the solution. Let's just go to a four-day work. I think that's what we should do. There you go. You know, let's just go to four-day and, and pay, them, pay them for five, and if they want to come in on Fridays, great. If you don't, just stay home, right? Let's just compromise. So we get the benefits of everybody being together. You know, when you're an employee, you know, think about, you know, you look at people's oh they went that 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 guy went up the ladder really really quickly because you know the C suite saw he had connected the C suite saw him well they're not going to see you at home <laughs> yeah those levels of playing field I mean in, in all seriousness I, I do think there's something to if if your workplace arrangement has your workers in there on average three four days per week then I think longer term because talent is so important to you. And enabling that, attracting and enabling that talent is so important. As an occupier, you're going to be willing to to float that kind of lack of utilization, right? Because as a percentage, the cost of that, as a percentage of of your talent, is it's not minuscule, but it's lower. Right. If if you're on the other end and you're more like, well, we're only coming in one or two days a week, you know, companies that have taken that approach, that's a little bit of a different story where that could get out of balance and those are the the fun little experiments you know fun if you're a workplace consultant um that are they're going to be playing out for a while yeah and and another thing i'm interesting to see how it plays out is the sense of belonging right if you 
work at an office and you have relationships with people in a place, you're, you're more belonging. And I think you, you might tend to stay at that company longer. Whereas if you're working home or remote, maybe there's more turnover. And, and when companies look at that cost of turnover and what happens during that turnover, the rehire and the retraining, the loss of productivity during, I think when, when, as that starts compounding, in my mind, companies are going, hey, wait, this, this really isn't working. This isn't really costing us money. If you just look at increased turnover. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point that, that what, whatever lands us in a place where we have uh, more employee retention is probably ultimately what's going to be better for the overall economy, including the office market. Yeah, excellent. Final thought, office market, U.S.? Um, you know, the world needs optimists, right? And, and people are going to do deals that are going to turn out very well for them in this challenging environment. And I think the trick is to know, you know, which ones to do. And that's why you're in your seat and I'm in mine. <laughs> If you want to sell a building, you want to loan a building, we can get it for you. Things are getting done. Feel great information. Thank you for Good coming, to see you. sir. And thank you for joining us around the country. Please let us know what you think. We appreciate you uh, sharing the show. And please reach out to us by email, call, or your favorite social media. Until next week, be sure that you always learn, lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Appreciate the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. Com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.